we are starting this book of Jonah, and uh, this story of Jonah is really fascinating, uh, but the reality is it's also really familiar, and sometimes familiar can be really good. Like, it's good for you to know. Maybe some of you did. You knew exactly where Jonah was in your Bible. It's good for you to know stories in the Bible. If you grew up in church and experienced flannel graphs or veggie tales, like, some of that is good, right? Because you're familiar with the stories of Scripture, but sometimes familiarity can be unfortunate. And I think Jonah is a great example of that. See, here's the reality. If I were to do a poll this morning and ask you, hey, what is Jonah all about? Even if you have no background in church, some of you might say, I think it involves like a big fish or a whale, right? I saw that on the flannel graph or the talking cucumber and veggie tails, right? You're somewhat familiar with that. And here's the reality. Here's the unfortunate reality is the book of Jonah is not about a a fish. It's about something way bigger than that. In fact, if you actually read the story of Jonah, which I implore you to do so during this series, it's four chapters. It'll take you 20 minutes to read it from front to back, right? Read the story of Jonah. Actually read your Bible, okay? And you'll see three times a fish is mentioned. And two of those times, it's right together, which is basically one time. So it's mentioned twice in the whole book that the book of Jonah is not about a big fish or a well. So what's it about? Well, we have to pull back a little bit. What's the whole Bible about? Here's what it is. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here's what the Bible is about. It's about revealing the character of God and the condition of people. That's what every book of the Bible, 66 books, is about the character of God the condition of people. And so that's what Jonah is about. And, and, and it's this unique story where, where we get the character of God and we get the condition of people from a prophet named Jonah. And that's pretty similar for our Old Testament prophetic books, but, but Jonah is unique and different as a prophetic book. You need to know this. Right? Most of our prophetic books are gonna say something like, hey, hey the word of the Lord came to Micah or, or Jeremiah or, or Isaiah. And then you start to, to see this eloquent pontification of, of the character of God, of the condition of man. It's, it's God's words through the words of people. That's usually what prophecy and prophetic books and prophets are all about. But Jonah's different. It's unlike any other prophetic book because it's not God's words through Jonah's words. It's God's words through Jonah's story. It's different. We do see this this fascinating story, and it's still God's word through the prophet, but not through his eloquent eloquent words, but honestly through his jacked up life. That's the story of Jonah. It's a story. It's different than the other prophetic books. And so you need to frame that up as we read different books of the Bible. You need to understand what kind of literature are we reading. That's what Jonah is. It's a story. And so we're going to read it like a story. So I'm going to read Chapter one of Jonah. So again, look at your Bible, look at your phone. And here's what I want you to do. This familiar story, I actually want you to pay attention to the finite detail. I'm gonna read the the whole chapter so we get this this story because that's the type of literature. But I want you to pay attention. If you take notes, it'd be a good idea to underline things. Lean in, look at the words closely, okay? So Jonah chapter one, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, or the sailors, were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish." And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled them into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So if the Bible, if the book of Jonah is about the character of God and the condition of people, what do we learn from this story, chapter one, about the character of God and the condition of people? Well, here's the first thing about the condition of people, the condition of Jonah. It's that Jonah runs from the purpose and the presence of God. If you go back to the beginning, look at verse two. We see Jonah's purpose. God tells him clearly, go to Nineveh, a place. And he gives them a purpose, cry out or call out uh, against it. God is telling him, hey, go to the city of Nineveh and I want you to call them to repentance. I want you to call them to turn away from their sin and turn to me, to warn them of the wrath that is coming if they continue in their sin, but invite them to experience my grace instead. That's Jonah's purpose, but you need to realize in the context, that was indeed scandalous. You see, once you start to know the context of the city of Nineveh, you start to realize why Jonah goes the opposite direction of Nineveh, right? See, in that day, Nineveh, the biggest city in the the known world at the time, the capital city of the empire of Assyria, And as you read historians, and I did this week and was reminded that the Assyrians were were not just evil people while God says their evil has come upon them. It wasn't just evil and they were just killing people and, and, and being mean to people or oppressing people. 
they were torturing people that historians will tell us things like they were filleting their enemies. They were skinning them alive. They were capturing their kids and using them as slaves. And what's unique to Jonah is Jonah was an Israelite. And a lot of that was done to his people, the Israelites. And so as Jonah gets this call of God, this purpose to go to Nineveh, it would be like a Jewish prophet after World War II going into Nazi Germany and warning them about their sin and calling them to the grace of God and knowing they could die on the spot because of that. that that's Jonah's purpose. And so you can imagine, we crack on Jonah, we crack on Peter. Last week, Marco talked about, we love to crack on these guys. Like, how could they? Do you understand the context? This is why Jonah goes the opposite direction. He runs from the purpose of God because this purpose was scandalous. And it's not just that Jonah runs. Uh, as you understand Hebrew literature, what you see in Jonah is, if you really pay attention, what I want you to read every word, is it's kind of humorous. Right? You, you see some contrasts that are, that are meant to be there on purpose uh, to even make you laugh. And so what you see is God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. And what you read in the text is it says, Jonah arises, same word, but he doesn't go to Nineveh, he flees and goes the opposite direction. And he doesn't just flee and go the opposite direction. If you know the geography at all, and we have a map for you, so you're gonna learn it today. Jonah is just a little bit north of Joppa. God calls him to go 550 miles to the east, which is modern day Iraq, it's Nineveh. Where does Jonah go? It says it like three or four times in the text. Where does he go? Tarshish, yeah, it's kind of fun to say, Tarshish. So he, he goes to Joppa to get a boat to go. So Nineveh, modern day Iraq, he goes to the southern tip of Spain, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, okay? He, he rises, but he doesn't go to Nineveh. He rises and he flees to the exact opposite direction and to go across seas, and again, if you, you understand the ancient world, it was scary to go across the sea because of storms like we're gonna see in this passage, because of sharks and so many other things that could kill you. And so Jonah, he wants to go away from the hard thing, but he does something that's actually way harder. See, here's the reality. Here's what Jonah teaches us about our condition as people is that we often run because we think it's gonna be easier because God has called you to something, right? Every single man and woman in this room, God's called you to something. Maybe you're married. God's called you to a, a marriage, to be faithful to your spouse, to, to iron out conflict when it happens and not avoid it, to not defend or deflect when it comes up, but to repent and forgive. Anybody married in the room? That is hard, amen? Can we just admit that together? I'm married 16 years this week on Friday. It's hard. Yeah, thanks, 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 yeah, yeah. It's hard. I'd rather avoid conflict. I don't want to talk about it. It's hard. Do you know what's harder than being faithful in your marriage as God has called you to do? Is hiding your lust or holding on to your pride. It seems easier, right, in the moment. No, that, that seems easier. Running seems easier than obeying. But it's not. 
550 miles versus 2,500 miles. Going across land versus going across sea. We think running is easier, but it's way harder. Uh, just this last couple weeks, uh, and really the last couple months, twice I've gone to Texas. That's where I'm from for a couple different reasons. Uh, my dad, uh, I've told you about this, he has cancer, so he's getting all these treatments. So I've gone for that. I went recently, I bought my dad's car, and we drove it back together. And so I have driven to Texas a couple times in the last couple months. It's over a thousand miles to Texas. There is no, people ask me, like, how do you do it? Like, what's the, there's no easy way to do it. Right, we've driven through the night with our kids while they're asleep. And that's easy because it's cooler and all all those sorts of things. There's nobody on the road, but it's driving through the night. (laughs) It's hard, right? Uh, We've done it where this last time I I drove with my parents, we stopped halfway in El Paso, and that just stretches it out and makes it more miserable, right? It's hard. Like, there's no easy way around it. See, here's the reality of what you need to know, is that obeying God is hard. There's not an easy way. And, and as churches, we, and pastors, we've done a bad job of saying, hey, the best is yet to come. Give your life to Jesus. Give him your sin. Give him your marriage. And then things will get better. <laughs> and some of you are like, man, I tried that. I like, walked the aisle and like it didn't happen. I came to the altar and it just got harder. Here's the reality. Obeying God is hard. There's no easy way to do it. It's take up your cross, deny yourself and follow Jesus. Is that easy? No. But let me just tell you, running from God is way more exhausting. It's way harder, right? And so as as you look at your life, what, what purpose is God calling you to? In your marriage, in your relationships, maybe there's somebody you need to forgive this morning. And every time you think about it, you're just like, but it's hard. It's so hard to do that. Maybe there's a sin you need to confess this morning. And maybe you need to confess it to God vertically. Maybe you need to confess it to, to others horizontally. But you think, well, that, that, that's hard. I don't like being reminded of my, my sin. And, and you need to know, that is hard. But staying in your sin, moving towards divorce, avoiding conflict, that, I mean, just anybody can testify to that? It's way harder and so we need to look at, what do we learn about the, the story of Nona? We learn about the condition of our own heart. We learn about what our response should be to God. It's not running, it's repenting, right? You need to know, running from God is a theological impossibility, right? Did you know Psalm 139, it says very eloquently, poetically, that, that even in the depths of Sheol, that, that means maybe hell, but it really just means the deepest parts where, where no one else goes, that God is there. That you can't run from God. And many of you, the reality is this, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your job, in your sin, you're trying so hard to run from God. And it's exhausting, and it's miserable, and it's not even working, right? And that's what we see with Jonah. See, here's the reality of Jonah. He's not just running from the purposes of God. He's running from the presence of God. He's trying to, at least. And that's what we see. If you look at the the text again with me, you see it in verse 3. It says it. Jonah tries to flee from the, the presence of the Lord. Verse 10, the sailors on the boat 
They say, hey, oh, you're trying to flee from the, the presence of the Lord because that's what you, you told us. Jonah 4.2, it spells out, why does Jonah run? Right? Is it the difficulty of the task laid before him? Is it the Ninevites and his prejudice against them? I think some of those were the reasons, but Jonah 4.2, the text literally tells us, this is why Jonah runs. It says this, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew He's talking to God, that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Jonah is not fleeing from difficulty, he's fleeing from deity. He's trying to get away from the face and the presence of God himself. And it's impossible. And yet he keeps on trying to do it. You can't run from God. Not in your marriage, not in your isolation. You think, well, God called me to community, but it's too hard. I'm just gonna stay at home by myself and watch Netflix. You, you can't run from God, but you can repent. Right now, some of you, that's the first step in the book of Jonah. That's what you learn about your condition is you're sinful running from God and you need to simply repent. My wife and I have been married for 16 years and some people will say like, well, how have you done it? And like, I mean, you guys, you're so cute together. You have such a good friendship and you're, you're a pastor. So that's probably, you know how we've made it 16 years? You know how we'll make it 16 years more? It's not because of how good we are. It's because we know how jacked up we are and we're willing to open-handedly repent to one another and to God. That's how you make it in marriage, okay? That's how you make it in life. Not running, but repenting. What do you need to re repent from this morning as you run from God? That's what we learned about the condition of people. Here's what we learn about the condition or the character rather of God. You can write this down. Is that God runs after the sinful and the self-righteous. This is who God is. Right, this is the good news. Some of you are like, Tim, this, I thought Jonah was about a fish. I thought it was gonna be cute, nice, fun story. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Here's the good news though. Here's where it gets uplifting when we stop looking at our condition and start looking at God's character. Here's who God is. He runs after people like me and you. He runs after the sinful, but also the self-righteous like Jonah. And so God goes after Nineveh. We're gonna see that as we continue to read this story. But, but more than that, God goes after Jonah. As he works through Jonah, he has a heart to do a work in Jonah first. That's much of the four chapters of this book is God doing a work in the life of Jonah. He, he goes hard after him. Uh, notice verse four, he sends out a great wind. I think it's interesting as you look at the gospels, you often see Jesus calming the sea to point the disciples to God. Here you see the opposite. You see God stirring up the sea to point Jonah and these sailors to God. You need to know the reality in your life. As you run from God, sometimes God will calm your sea, but sometimes God's gonna stir it up to get your attention, not to punish you, but to pull you back to him. And that's what God does. As he pursues Jonah, he stirs up the sea. He, he provides a storm because he's pursuing Jonah. And we need to know this. Again, the story is really familiar of the book of Jonah. Uh, and, and maybe you've kind of just heard parts of the story about the fish. And you kind of, hey, your story of Jonah is like, hey, this guy, I mean, he was the reluctant prophet. I know that. He ran from God. He tried to go the opposite direction. But eventually, you know, he's in the belly of the well and he repents and he uh, runs back to God and he does what God uh, tells him to do. Uh, Nineveh repents and everybody lives happily ever after. Right? That's what you learn in Veggie Tales. 
What they left out is chapter four, <laughs> a whole chapter where you, you should go and read it. It really is, it, it's very entertaining. It's like Saturday Night Live, okay? It's like a skit. At the end, like after the, this great city, this, the biggest city in the known world that is so violent and taking kids captive and flaying people, they repent as Jonah goes to them and proclaims repentance. They actually repent and all these people get saved from hell and go from death to life. And guess how Jonah responds in Jonah chapter four? He is angry that his shade tree has gone down. I mean, can you chuckle with that? That's Jonah. That's who he is. And yet, this is how silly, have you ever wondered, can God use you because you're jacked up? Read the book of Jonah. Be encouraged. God can use you. The book ends. I would have ended it in chapter three, but God has other plans. The book ends in the very last verse of Jonah chapter four, and God is still pursuing this Jonah. He's still persuading him, pursuing him. Hey, you gotta see the bigger picture of my grace. You gotta understand what I'm doing. He doesn't give up on Jonah. He keeps on pursuing Jonah because God is a God who pursues the sinful and the self-righteous. That's, that's who he is. That's in his DNA. That's good news, amen? How many of you are sinful? Yeah. Uh, and those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're liars, which is sin, okay? How many of you are, are self-righteous? Yeah. That's just sinning in a different way that's more pleasing to the eye, right? That's Nineveh, the Assyrians, belaying people alive, and that's the self-righteous one. It's the people who you're you, you not sure if you can uh, receive God's grace because you've done so many bad things in your life, sexually, financially, relationally. It's the people that think they're beyond the grace of God, but it's also the people that think they're above the grace of God. That's who God pursues. And listen, that's every single person in this room. I, I just, I don't know everybody's sin or self-righteousness, but I just covered the whole room. And guess what? Jonah teaches us, it's not about a fish, it's about a God who is radically, scandalous, grace, pursuing all of you. That's the good news of the story of Jonah. We learn about our condition, but we also learn about the character of God. See, here's the reality. I think, I think sometimes uh, this is lost on us. I think, uh, you know, sometimes in church, we kind of go through the motions and we sort of get numb to the, the reality of God's grace, the wonder of God's grace. But I think that has been especially true in the last couple of years. See, here's the reality. Unless you've lived under a rock, you know the last couple of years have been difficult. Amen? Yeah, you can talk back. Amen? Yeah, last couple of years, I don't care who you are, it's been difficult, right? Like uh, mask and politics and polarization and, and, and sickness and, and online church, even for the church, like online church versus in-person church and, and churches being divided at different points. I mean, so many of, of churches I know, like we're growing as a church by God's grace, but so many churches I know, man, they, they've like gone down 50%. And it's because of like silly things like, like politics and, and mask and all these things. And, and somehow we, we lost sight of the bigger purpose, the grace of God, right? 
And, and so the last couple of years, they've been difficult, but I think they've also been distracting. And just as I studied this book, as I've been studying it, as we prepared this series, I, I just thought, man, what if God is taking us through the book of Jonah, this scandalous grace to remind us of what we first embraced, the grace of God, but what also people need to experience on the outside. Yeah. You see, what, what is all this about? Why do we stand up and sing? Why do we raise a hand? Do you have a question? No. You, why, why do we do that? Like, why do we sit down? Why do we take an offering? Why do we go through a sermon? If you're new to the church, maybe you're really asking this. Like, why do, we, why do we do all this stuff? What's it really all about? Is it to get fed? Is it to learn a few more biblical nuggets to go impress your friends? Like Jonah's not about a great fish. Let me tell you what it's all about. The character of God and the condition of man. It's alliteration. It works. Is that the point of this? Is it, is it the point of to see what side of the aisle you're on politically and to sort of critique the other side? Is that the point of this? I hope not. What is the point of all this? Here's the point. It is to be in awe, to be obliterated by the amazing grace of God that he comes after both the self-righteous and the sinner that he never stops pursuing you. Like in the midst of what you did last night that nobody else knows about, in the midst of what you just thought like five seconds ago, God still pursues you. That's scandalous grace. That's what the book of Jonah is about. That's what the book of the Bible is about. That's what church is about. Don't get distracted. I focus in on just... I've experienced this. Listen, we, we got several stories. I asked for them from people in our church who've experienced the scandalous grace of God. And there was a repetitive sequence that I noticed. A pattern in those stories is that every single one of them said, hey, in my marriage, hey, in this addiction, hey, I thought I was beyond the grace of God. But that's the moment when God's grace pursued me and wrecked me and changed my life. And not only did God run after me, but I began to run after him. But it was when they thought they were beyond the grace of God. Anybody in that spot today? You feel like you're beyond God's grace? Maybe that's exactly where you need to be and realize that God's grace is exactly precisely for you. You see, here's my bigger concern. It's not the people who think they're beyond the grace of God. It's people that think they're above the grace of God. That, as a pastor, what keeps me up at night is people who think they're good, who think they're, they're righteous, who come to church and know where the book of Jonah is and they don't need the table of contents. People that think they're above the grace of God. The reality is the best place we can be is Oh God, I need you. I need you. I'm desperate for your grace. I want to embrace it. And as we embrace it for ourselves, here's what happens. We want to extend it to other people. Right? So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Uh, hopefully you got this bookmark when you came in. If you didn't, you can grab one on your way out. I want you to grab this bookmark. And we gave this to you in this series. So you can write down on the other side, you can write down three names of people in your life, maybe it's family, friends, neighbors, who are in need of the grace of God. And you can start praying for them to receive the grace of God. And maybe it's the Ninevites in your life. Maybe it's the person at work who is your enemy. <laughs> 
And maybe that's precisely the, God, the person who God's calling you to pray for. Maybe that's precisely the person who needs to experience God's grace. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your neighbor who, who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe it is somebody who, they're elephant and you're the other one, red, blue. Maybe that's the person that you throw the bookmark at after you write it down, right? But, but here's what I want you to do, and here's what I did. I, I would show it to you, but it's on that step. Here's the first name you need to write down, all right? Seriously, I want you guys to do this. There's a place for three names. Here's the first name you write down, your name. Your name. Because that's where it all starts. You wanna understand how to extend the grace of God to other people? You first have to embrace it. You first have to, in your life, no, you're not above the grace of God. I don't care how long you've gone, gone to church. I don't care how many religious acts you've done. You're not above the grace of God. You're in need of it. And so write your name down first. Like, this is not a, just a hypothetical. Write your name down and begin to understand how, how you can embrace the grace of God. And then write those other names down and start praying for other people and inviting them, them into, I hope you see it, church, the scandalous, glorious grace of God. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, these men and women, including myself, who are sinful and self-righteous, who are imperfect, but who've been pursued by the perfect love and grace of Jesus Christ. God, that's every one of our stories. And God, I, I just pray right now, just for the men and women sitting in this room, the ones who are watching online, that if they're running from you, they, they would just understand, maybe, maybe they do understand, maybe they're, they're exhausted, but they would also understand that they're not just exhausted, that that's impossible. Because God, you're not just here in this room, you're, you're there in their living room, in their bedroom. You're there in the room of their mind and their heart. And God, we would just be a people today that would stop running and we would start repenting in our marriage, in our sexual sin, in our financial greed, in our self-righteousness that we would, that first name we would write on the bookmark would just be a, a part of us confessing our sin to you, but also receiving your grace, your scandalous grace in our lives. And that as we do that, God, then we would be compelled to invite others. How could we not to invite others to experience that scandalous grace in their life also? God, I thank you for this story of Jonah. I pray for the next few weeks in this story that we might learn more and more about your character about how you pursue each and every one of us in radical, gracious, loving ways. We pray that in the name of Jesus, amen.